Hello, humans. Hello, hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? I am absolutely thrilled to be here with you on this fine day in March, the middle of March. Um, we're heading towards the spring solstice. Um, I don't know if that's actually a real word or a phrase, but I'm going to call it that. You have me here, Ellie Krug, uh, talking to you from lovely Eden Prairie, outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. But I know that we have listeners across the world, like in Scotland and like now in London. And we have people all over the place who want, who are desperate to learn about idealism, about the concepts of what does it mean to be an idealist, and most importantly, who are desperate to change this world. Because right now, we are in the midst of understanding that we are all interdependent. And what happens in Wuhan, China, ultimately comes back and affects everyone else in the world. We are. I don't want to be too, um, too negative here or too much of a Debbie Downer, um, but we are finding that right now as you're hearing my voice. And, and we're taping this on June 9th, or excuse me, March 9th, and uh, who knows what it's going to be like by the time you hear this. So anyway, on that very happy note, we have a really great show. Um, the big interview is with Nick Ulm from Mosier. Nick was here previously on the show. Um, you are, he is delightful, particularly when you realize he's 23 years old and what he's been able to accomplish. Um, uh, and uh, in my C block, I'm going to talk about my work. I'm going to talk about serendipity and trajectory. But let's begin with our featured idealist. As I said recently, one of the things I love about this radio gig, about this show, is that like you, I get to find out about people, about idealists um, who I ha have no idea ever lived. And part of my reason for selecting uh, this week's Idealist is that it's Women's Month, March is. We're just taping the day after International Women's Day. And so um, uh, so there you go. But I'm going to guess that most of you have not heard about Rose Pastor Stokes, um, a turn of the 19th century. So, excuse me, a turn of the 20th century. So from the 1890s to the 1900s, a turn of the century socialist and founder of the American Communist Party. I know I just said the word communist, okay? But please recall that in the early 1900s, um, workers in this country had way fewer options than that what they have right now. I mean, there was no such thing as equal employment law. There was no such thing as employment law. Heck, there wasn't anything such as, for most states, uh, workers' compensation laws. <clears throat> so I'm going to guess that the communists of the 1920s would have been the equivalent of the democratic socialists of the 2020s. At least that's Ellie's take. At any rate, here's the story about Rose Pastor Stokes. Um, she was born in 1879 in, in what is today Poland. Her family is Jewish. She was Jewish. Uh, within three years of being born, she and her mother and stepfather emigrated to London. Then, in 1891, at the age of 12, her mother, her stepfather, and a couple of other children at that point emigrated again to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, uh, now, uh, there is, you know, there was no high school requirement, graduation requirement in the 1890s. So then at age, so as a consequence, at age 13, age 13, 
uh, Rose Pastor Stokes. And remember, I'm using the phrase Pastor Stokes. She's not a reverend. It's just the, the way the name is, okay? Rose Pastor Stokes began working at a cigar factory at the age of 13. She did that for 11 years to support her mother and six siblings because by that time her father, stepfather had died. And then something unexpected happened. There was some serendipity here. Uh, Rose uh, had always been a writer. Um, People who are writers have a bug. I know that because I've got the bug. And she saw um, a solicitation for letters from the Jewish Daily News, which was based in New York City. Um, And the Jewish Daily News focused on Jewish workers. Now, remember, Rose is living in Cleveland. Rose submitted a letter to the editor about working in the cigar factory, about what work conditions were like. The letter got published. The, the, the periodical, the newspaper, the Jewish Daily News, liked her writing so much that they invited her to write more letters to the editor. Eventually, the Jewish Daily News hired Rose Pastor Stokes um, as a writer, as a columnist, excuse me, as a journalist. And Rose moved to New York City in 1903, right at the millennium. Uh, that millennium, when there were all poss- all kinds of possibilities. That same year in 1903, Rose was assigned to interview a wealthy businessman who also believed in social justice. In fact, that businessman, had his name was J.G. Fel- Phelps Stokes. Um, so now you know why it, it's Rose Pastor Stokes. She interviewed that businessman, Um, who had moved from his Madison Avenue mansion to live in New York City's Lower East Side amongst, quote, settlement houses, unquote, for emigres. These were where people came from from overseas. This is where they ended ended up staying, right, as soon as they got into the country. And, of course, they faced great challenges because the way our country was to anybody who was, quote, different, unquote. So remember the challenges the Irish had. You remember the challenges the Italians had. Remember the challenges... Uh, that the Polish uh, folks had. You remember the challenges, of course, that were ongoing about people with skin colors that were other than white. So the businessman, J.G. Phelps Stokes, and Rose, uh, Pastor Stokes, because she married him, uh, they struck up a romance, okay? J.G. Phelps Stokes was an unlikely idealist himself. He was a railway president, he was Episcopalian, and he was, quote-unquote, a society figure. Um, but as I said, as luck would have it, um, he was an idealist and he was somebody that Rose clicked with and eventually um, uh, they married. So this was an, a, a selection or a, a meeting of improbable idealists creating an improbable romance and going forward to do improbable idealism. Two months after Rose and J.G. Um, Phelps Stokes married, uh, two months after that – uh, together with uh, Upton Sinclair, Jack London, Clarence Darrow, and Florence Kelly, these are all names that I'm sure you are aware of, uh, Rose and her husband founded the Intercollegiate uh, Socialist Society to um, encourage the study and discussion of socialism in colleges. Um, guess what? In 2020, we're doing that very same thing right now, courtesy of a man named Bernie. 
By 1909, Rose was speaking across the country about inequities and about and working to help organize unions. In 1909, she helped 40,000 garment workers strike. In 2012, it was helping restaurant workers in New York City strike. She spoke of the goal uh, to have all aspects of society understand they are interdependent. You heard me use that phrase at the top of the show about humans being interdependent. Right now in America, although I think that may be changing, um, you know, we have a lot of divisions and people who are at the top believe that they have absolutely no type of dependency or interdependency with people who are at the bottom and nothing could be farther from the truth. All it takes is one germ from somebody at the bottom and people at the top. Someone at the top will get sick and possibly get really sick. So that's very Buddhist as well where you talk about people being inter interdependent. Uh, Rose uh, Pastor Stokes also advocated for women and for birth control. Recall that until the mid-1960s – yeah, 1960s – many states made birth control illegal. Yeah, you, um, you know, the 20, 30-somethings listening to me right now have been like, what? Now, until 1967, Griswold versus Connecticut, I know that because I'm a lawyer, um, uh, birth control was outlawed in many states in the United States. So there you go. By 1919, after World War I, um, and with Rose believing that the uh, U.S. war effort in World War I was wrong because it was helping businesses profiteer off the war, she helped found the Communist Party of America. And by then – by 1919, she was being prosecuted for violating the Espionage Act of 1917 because she had the audacity to write a letter to the editor in Kansas City um, arguing that, the, that our involvement in the war was wrong. Uh, that law, the Espionage Act of 1970, was a law used to silence critics. Yes, it was. Eventually um, – Rose would be cleared of those charges, those espionage charges, and later, though, she and her husband also divorced. Unfortunately, by 1930, at the age of 51, she was very young, she was Rose was diagnosed with breast cancer. She then succumbed to that horrible disease in 1933. She wasn't even 54 years old at the time of her death. I have barely done justice to this idealist, Rose Pastor Stokes. You can read more, read more about her. Rose Pastor Stokes is the name on Wikipedia. And there's a book out, uh, Rebel Cinderella by Adam Huxchild, uh, that's featured in a March 4th, 2020 piece by gender, Jennifer Sazalai, uh, S-Z-A-L-A-I in the New York Times. Just, just Google Rebel Cinderella New York Times and you'll be able to come up with a piece about the book. Um, this is important stuff to know. Um, because the same issues that were going on at the turn of the 20th century in the early 1900s, these are same issues that we're having right now in the 2020s. Yeah. What's that say? It says this. It says we don't have enough idealists running around. We don't have enough people working to make change. We don't have enough people who are willing to sacrifice to make a difference in this world. So that's what it says. When we come back from our break, we're going to listen to it. We're going to talk to Nick Alm. 
who is an idealist who will grab you because he certainly has grabbed me. And by the way, you're going to hear he's only 23 years old. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. So, uh, do me a favor and read up about Rose Pastor Stokes. Um, I know, you know, I know I'm always giving you, uh, you know, homework assignments, but I think that it will be well worth it because she was um, very instrumental at the turn of, you know, the last century and we need to know about these folks. And now I've got in the uh, studio with me for the big interview someone else you need to know about. I have Nick Alm from Mosier. Um, the nonprofit here in Minnesota. Nick, welcome back to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, you, uh, you were on the show originally back in October of 2018. We had you in for, I think, show number 41. We're now on show number 100 and something. And, um, and that was the first time you and I ever met. And in the time since then, we've developed actually a friendship and um, and you were so kind. There was um, a video done about me for an award that I got last year and you were so kind as to actually be on that video to to spew all these things about Ellie Krug. And so I, I'm very, I was very grateful for that. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. It was easy. All right. Well, all right. So let's get everybody back up to speed about what Mosier is because we do actually have new listeners. We have listeners from overseas as well. Awesome. Believe it or not, it's an really? international show, Nick. Okay. I need to tell you that. And uh, so what is Mosier? Um, what's the origins and what is your um, – Nonprofit's purpose. Mm-hmm. So, the Mosier Social Action and Innovation Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out here in Minnesota focusing on advancing LGBTQ employment equity locally, nationally, and globally. Uh, Kevin Mosier was a Minnesota entrepreneur in the 80s. He started a company called RSVP Vacations. Uh, most people don't know that the gay travel industry was born here in the 80s with Kevin's company, and his foundation um, funded our initial uh, startup costs in 2016, and we named it in honor of Kevin and his work to bring uh, LGBTQ employment equality around the globe. Okay. Now, Kevin's no he has passed away. Is in that 96, right? he passed away. Okay. Yep. 
All right. So you named it. Um, you named it after him. You've gotten the, and and so when you talk about employment equity, um, what what does that mean, and how does that make you different than say like out front Minnesota or you know um, the human rights campaign or or something like that? Yeah, our focus is specifically on looking at how LGBTQ people work towards getting safe dignified and living wage employment in a variety of different contexts. And so okay. in the United States, that looks like look working for an organization that has the right policies in place, that has the right benefits, uh, where uh, our community does not feel like we have to be in the closet at work. 46% of our community is still in the closet at work in the U.S. Well, and part of that is because we only have legal rights in what? For uh, lesbian and gay people, legal rights in 24 states or 26? 22. 22. Yeah. Okay. All right. And LGBT and uh, transgender people, which I am, I mean, we're down at that number as well. Okay. So, you know, more than half the states right now, you can still be fired um, for being lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, right? Correct. Okay, and and we we both know right now the Supreme Court is mulling um, a couple of big decisions about whether or not um, uh, Title Seven is going to uh, the employment law uh, protections are going to apply to people, right? Right. So it may get even worse for us. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Go on. I interrupted you. No. So well, and it is, and I think a big piece of homework, if I can throw that out, is for if you are an employer, if you do work in HR, is to look up and read about the implications of those Supreme Court decisions. Um, I tell people that even if things don't go our way in June, uh, it's really frustrating to have your existence debated on that kind of level right. at the Supreme Court. Um, so it's going to be a difficult time for your LGBTQ employees. Well, we should also make sure that folks listening right now in Minnesota – um, you know, and in maybe Iowa or some other states where there are existing statewide protections, even if the Supreme Court rules adversely, right? It's not going to affect protections here, like in Minnesota, right? Okay, all right, right, totally. Go, all right, go on. What else are you doing then? So, uh, what we've devised here in Minnesota, we have our our big Proud to Work Minnesota initiative, and that is a big conference in June, and it's a big career fair in June, June twenty fifth and 26th of this year. And what we decided that we needed, and again, getting back to how kind of we differentiate ourselves, is uh, workplaces of all kinds, both you know, nonprofit, government, uh, big Fortune 500s, and small law firms. Everybody needed this conversation, but most people weren't getting out to the big national out and equal conferences and things like that. So we said we wanted a statewide initiative focused on LGBTQ workplace equality, that's multi-sector. Here in Minnesota. Here in Minnesota. Yep. Multi-generational uh, is something that we really need with 19% of Gen Z now identifying as queer in the workplace. Uh, our, part of our audience just uh, kind of red light went up when you said the word queer. So totally. can you define what queer means and why is an acceptable phrase? It's a phrase I use as well, but go right. on. Well, and it, it is certainly a generational thing. I believe the queer term is being reclaimed by – a new generation. And the queer umbrella, simply in my opinion, in my definition, is that it refers to anybody who is outside of the gender binary, anybody who is outside of sexual orientation. Right. So it's, a, I think, a less descriptive term to say that you are not heterosexual and not cisgender. Okay. Yeah, cisgender would be people that are not transgender. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So, and uh, it just, all right. So go on. So we have almost one in five of our Generation Z people. That would be our people that are what, in their teens up to, 
uh, 25? Yeah, 24. 24. I think is the oldest. Yeah. So that group, one in five of that group mm-hmm. is like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be who I am, whatever that might mean as it relates to gender or sexuality. Right. And we're going to just be having quote, more and more of those quote, those quote unquote, those people showing up in the workplace. Exactly. And law firms. I mean, I just talked to a law firm last week about having a non-binary um, summer associate coming to go work at the firm and they're like, Ellie, what do we do about this? And I'm like, you know, non-binary would be people that don't identify either as male or female. They just identify as human. So, you know, I mean, for my, uh, you know, I'm a lawyer and top of everything else. So it's challenging my profession. So, mm-hmm. okay. All right. Yes. Go on. It's so, challenging all workplaces. All right. So you have the the Proud to Work conference coming up at the end of June that Mosier is putting on. Right. And this is what, the second year or third year? Third year. Third year. Now, uh, give a – well, we're going to have to take a break in a second. But it, in the third year, and I want to come back and talk about this. Nick, you have built this thing from like what? It was like a meeting with a bunch of, you know, half a dozen people to how many people – how many sponsors do you have and how many people are coming in June? Yeah, about 20 sponsors. 20 sponsors. All, you know, Fortune 500 and government. And then we're expecting close to 400 people. 400 people. And what did you have three years ago? How many attended? About 50. <laughs> All right. Well, audience members, you're hearing um, uh, uh, me speak with Nick Ohm from Mosher. He's the executive director of Mosher. And uh, the statistics you just heard are phenomenal. Um, but I think you need to put it further in light because you need to know that Nick is only 23 years old and he's accomplished so very much in such a short time. Nick, when we come back from our break, I want to talk more about your work at Mosher. Okay? Awesome. All right. And listeners, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. Um, you may in coming weeks have plenty of time to be listening to the radio. So, all right, we'll be back in a moment. Thanks. Did you know there's deconstruction funding available now for homeowners and contractors in Hennepin County? If you are embarking on a remodel or teardown this year, consider hiring Better Futures Minnesota's deconstruction crews instead of demolition. By taking a house or building apart by hand instead of destroying it with heavy equipment, the materials can be reused or recycled instead of going into the landfill. It is much more cost-effective and is a carbon-neutral solution. Go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and look under Business Services to learn more. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. We're back on Ellie 2.0 Radio and AM 950. Um, before we took our bro- break, we started speaking with Nick Ohm from Mosier. Nick, we do need to make sure that everybody's aware that not only are you and I friends, but I spoke at the conference last year, the Proud to Work conference, and you're going to have me back again this year, right? Yes, All are. right. So we just want to make sure in the, in the interest of t- 
total transparency here, okay? But I'd have you on the show even if I wasn't going to speak again this year. So, All right. Now, um, before we took our break, we were talking about how you, as now a 23-year-old, but started being the executive director of Mosier when you were 21? It was really 19 is when I got going. (laughs) You were 19. Sorry, I had that wrong, okay? 21, I started doing it (laughs) full-time. Okay. Yeah. At 19. Yeah. How did how did uh, remind us how you landed into that? Yeah. So the first person I ever met professionally who was openly LGBTQ and over the age of 25 was Charlie Rounds and Charlie became my mentor through an internship that I got in school and uh, Charlie had This was at the U. This was at the University of Minnesota. Right. Charlie had been traveling globally exploring economic empowerment uh, and human rights issues in the LGBT space. Uh, and really trying to figure out what is the role of business and uh, LGBT human rights and how do those work together. And so we connected and um, what ter- was supposed to be a three-month internship turned into getting incorporated six months later, uh, building a board of directors, fundraising, the Kevin Mosier grant. It just kept growing. Okay. Well, but this is no easy task. I mean, I ran a nonprofit for five years. Um, and I walked into a situation where it was it existed on paper and they had the money in the bank. You you had to build this. Right. So you're 19 years old. You're essentially taking something from scratch. Okay. And in in that time, in four years, okay, you've been able to build going from a budget of what zero, mm-hmm. right, to what's your budget now? About three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand dollars, Nick. Going from you being uh, a volunteer to then part time to now you are full time, mm-hmm. right? And now, and you start out with no help, right? Other than your board, of course. Right. Boards are important, but you had nobody on a day to day basis, right? Correct. And now you have one full time employee. Yes. Two interns. Yes. Our, <laughs> our board is about fifteen people now. Uh, and then we work with a variety of contract consultants. So when we go on site and we do one-to-one coaching, we have a number of people that we work with. Nick, you're just warming my heart so much. Thank you. And let us again remind the audience that you are 23 years old. Um, okay. Um, now, before we go any further, if somebody wants to read about Mosher, um, learn more about it, and maybe even – uh, contribute, mm-hmm. um, where should they go? How do they do that? Yeah, it's really easy. Mosier.org. Spell it, please. M as in Mary, O-S-S-I-E-R.org. And we just launched a new site. So hopefully it works. Okay, with a <laughs> donate now button. It's right in the upper hand corner, <laughs> upper right hand corner. Okay, all right. Well, so look for that, listeners. But I, and, and listeners, listen, you know, I have a lot of idealists that come on the show. I have a lot of people that are doing good in the world. I have, I have never had an idealist who's as accomplished at in such a short period of time at such a young age as Nick Alm, who we have right now. So, Nick, I just want you to know, I you know, I know you look to me as for some mentorship at times, um, but I'm I'm in awe of you. I just want you Thank to know you that so much. I really am. That means a lot. So, all right, Mosher's not only though domestic; it's also doing international work. Mm-hmm. Is that right? right? In fact, you're supposed to get on a plane uh, five, six days from now, right. and go to Africa. Yes. So, talk about the work in Africa that Mosher is conducting. Yeah. So, Mosher is a social enterprise, and what that means is we uh, we are on our proud to work conference, our consulting and education, and what we do is we take those dollars and we put it in a grant pool. And that grant pool goes to the 70 countries where it is still illegal 
to be LGBTQ. Uh, we provide some of those countries punishable by death. Yeah, about eight still punishable by death, and a few more that are trying to pass those laws right now. Yeah, and in those countries, you can't get a job. Period. So the answer that we came up with four years ago, working with some activists in these communities, uh, specifically in East Africa, where I'm going was to provide grants to entrepreneurs to start their own businesses like Kevin Mosier did, uh, employ their own community, and uh, as a result, hopefully be able to provide their own housing, provide their own health care, and their basic livelihood necessities. So that is a, the focus of our, our global initiative. Okay. And how many times have you been overseas as part of uh, your work here with Mosher? This will be my second time. Okay. Okay. And you are also um, – you have collaborations with other organizations. For example, there's a light here in town. Yes. A light works with refugees. Is that mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. We are looking specifically at the LGBTQ refugee crisis in Kenya with a light. Okay. All right. So you're going to go to Kenya at the end of this week. Yep. And then what other country are you just going to be in Kenya? I'll be in Uganda for a few days. Oh, my God. We have two okay. projects there. Okay. And Be careful in Uganda, will you? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then I will be uh, going to the refugee camp where we work. And uh, it's about two hours uh, outside of Lodwar would be the closest city that people would know. And then I spend, I'll spend a week in Nairobi meeting with activists and looking for additional organizations that we want to support. Okay. Well, that I mean, Nick, this is just incredible. It's an incredible opportunity for you. So, all right. So let's let's you know. Last time I had you here, I we talked about what made you an idealist. I mean, you are absolutely an idealist. And so I've got a couple of questions for you. One, remind us, please, about what made you an idealist. And then secondly, since you and I had that conversation in October of 2018, have you been keeping your eye um, more aware of other idealists that you're coming across? And are you even, you know, are you using that word idealism? Mm-hmm. Because that, I'm a big believer in rippling from one human to yes. another. So yeah. what, what made you what, – remind us about what made you so idealistic. You know – there's a lot of things I think. First of all, I have a really uh, – I have a nice story. I have a privileged story. My story as an LGBTQ person, as a non-binary person, uh, my experiences I've had with my family, the education I've received, the opportunities I've had has put me in a really unique position to impact other people. Uh, and I knew uh, – I kind of had a, an epiphany when I entered business school. I knew I had, had in many ways landed in the wrong spot. Uh, did not feel that that was kind of putting me in the flow of my life and uh, knew then that I really wanted to have a career focused on impact. And I would take impact any way that I could get it. Um, I knew I wanted to work internationally. I never thought LGBTQ rights, human rights, was going to be my avenue. Uh, But me and some other folks, we co-founded the University of Minnesota's first LGBTQ and business-focused student group when we were students. And 150 people showed up to our launch event. This was October of 2016. Okay. And before that, we thought we were the only five queer people in the school, right? In the business school. In the business school. And to see so many people come out saying, oh, my gosh, I've thought about this for so long. I can't believe our school isn't talking about it. I can't believe the business community isn't talking about this. About LGBTQ people and and empowerment. That and I think in general, people of difference in the working world. Uh, Okay. I worked for the career center in school and in that career center, about 75% of students came into their career coaching appointments saying something to the effect of, I'm just not the typical 
business person, uh, white, black, gay, straight, you name it, across the gamut. And so I knew there was an opportunity, and that was kind of um, – I just started to ask questions. And it led me to this internship where I met Charlie, which led to Mosier, and it's really been kind of this um, – Again, the snowball that just kind of keeps going. But it's not a given that you grow up in a privileged background that you would want to make a difference in the world and that you would want to change it. I mean, did you have some kind of experience as a younger human or was there a role model for you? Was it – what was it? You know, I would say things really changed for me in about fifth grade. Okay. Mr. Tash was my was my teacher for fifth and sixth grade and uh, he was the one who, who told me that, you know, you've got – Potential. You've got. You are. We're born to do something really amazing. Really. Yeah. Okay. And I really think that was when it changed for me to around ten, eleven. I always had a feeling that there was going to there was something uh, important that I was supposed to do with this life. And I think Mr. Tash was really he awakened me to that. <laughs> and you know, from there it was getting involved in student council and local politics, and then it evolved into other advocacy groups. And um, it really that was I would say in the midst of being bullied. Uh, for letting my girlfriends put makeup on me on the bus, you know, uh, in the midst of that physical and mental kind of harassment that I experienced as a young child. Um, the way I got out of it, the way I coped with it was this belief that I was going to get out of there and that I was, I was, there was a high calling on my life that was bigger than uh, being teased on the school bus. So that um, has carried me all the way to this present moment. I have no, you know, and Nick, I have no doubt um, that we will continue to hear about you for coming decades, okay, that there are big things, obviously, in your future. Um, and listeners, I think that one of the takeaways of what Nick just talked about is empowering young humans, letting them know that, first of all, they matter, um, that they're worthy, and then letting them believe that they have the potential to go do something. I mean, that's pretty basic, but we mm -hmm. miss that with so many people, don't we? Totally. So now, okay, you're an idealist. I don't know if you go around describing yourself as that, but you are. I do. You I do. do. Oh, I do. Oh, I love that. Makes me a feel hopeless good. hopeless idealist. <laughs> well, that would be me, and yeah. if you are, we'll form that club. Yeah. Um, uh, so, what are you finding more idealist? Are you using the word idealist as you're going out? And and you know, I. I really would like to know that. Yeah. I'm finding more and more people all the time. And what I've learned in the last two years is that most people already know that they want to change the world in a positive way. They believe that on a deep level that they can and should do that. Uh, a lot of people just haven't had that opportunity, haven't had that first chance to do something. And so, you know, when we talk about 400 people coming to this conference in June, many of them, to me, fit the exact mold of an idealist. They are some of the only openly LGBTQ people at their organizations who right. are totally changing the game. Um, and the Proud to Work uh, initiative and this other stuff that we're doing with Mosher just gave people kind of the environment to kind of let that flourish. And so uh, as Mosher has gotten bigger and we've brought more and more people into this ecosystem, I've seen that come out in other people. Uh, and it's, that's probably one of the most exciting things about my job is seeing that development happen in people. That's just great. That warms my heart. It really does. And, you know, I, um, I'm, just, uh, I'm just so incredibly thrilled for you, Nick. I really am. And, I, I mean, it is an honor for me to know you. Um, and I'm still so very thankful for how you've helped me. Um, but I just – I want you to know I believe in you, okay? And you know I'm here to help you in whatever way that I can do that. Um, 
But just keep doing what you're doing. Yes. Okay? Yes. Let's give the audience one more chance. What's the website for Mosier? Mosier.org. Okay. M-O-S-S-I-E-R. Correct. Dot org. And based out of Minneapolis, right? Downtown Minneapolis. Down Come see us. Okay. Innovation Lab. Okay. All right. Well, listen. Nick Alm from Mosier.org. Uh, Thank you for being here on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, I'm going to have you back in another couple of years. We'll hear even how much more you've accomplished. Okay? Thank you so much, Ellie. Oh, thanks for being there. All right, listeners. Well, we talked with just uh, spoke here with Nick Alm from Mosier. Um, go check it out because it's an innovative in, and very important organization, particularly with what's going on in our country right now. Um, and if you like what you are hearing here, visit my website at elliekrug.com. When we come back, I will give you my C block. Talk about serendipity. Bye. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more. Saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. And we're back on AM950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, Nick Alm. Yes. Young man, I know. I've been harping at that. But you know what? I'm harping at it because we've got some young listeners to um, LE 2.0 Radio. And we also happen to have older folks um, who have young people in their lives. And you know what? You can do it. You can do it. You're young. You're listening to me right now. You can be an idealist. You can go out and you can change the world. And for those of you who are older but know of younger people in your life, you can empower them. Just like Nick Elm got empowered in fifth grade by a fifth grade teacher. So, all right. Now we're in my C block where I talk about my work as an idealist. And I've been using the phrase serendipity um, here because I was struck by how Rose Pastor Stokes um, was um, uh, <laughs> fell into serendipity because you know all she did was send a letter to the editor at the the Jewish uh, newspaper in New York City, and before she knew it, she was writing for the newspaper, and then before she knew that, she met her husband, and before she knew that, she was out speaking across the country. Um, this was a girl who had been, you know, a cigar factory worker from age um, 13 to, to 24, okay? 
And within five years of that, she was out speaking across the country about changing work conditions. So this is, you know, this is about how serendipity can change trajectories. And I'm also reminded at one point, I don't know, over a year ago, I talked about Rachel Maddow of MSNBC who, who got her – who got her start um, because on a whim she entered a contest to be a guest host on a Western Massachusetts radio station, and boom, now she's one of the most respected people in broadcast journalism. So for me, here's my story, my serendipity, okay? Um, You know, I'm a writer, and uh, last week um, I spent uh, several days uh, sitting and working on my second book. I know I've talked a lot about the second book, but boy, did I get the bug last week. And I've moved from a bunch of words, like 70,000 words that are, uh, okay quality, to now I have five and a half chapters, five and a a quarter or third chapters that are good. They're at what I call the 90 to 95 percent level. Okay? And so – but I did not get my break to write um, without serendipity. All of it goes back to 2010 when I – I was newly out as Ellie Krug. I was newly out. I um, transitioned uh, genders socially, uh, not surgically yet. Um, but in 2010, um, I began writing for a monthly LGBTQ publication in Iowa uh, named Access Line. And it all happened because just by luck, I sat next to the editor of Access Line, a man named Arthur Brewer. I sat next to him at uh, – it was some kind of a – outdoor festival where you could table, where you could have various tables. It was a women's festival in Iowa City. The access line table was next to a table that I was staffing for um, um, an LGBTQ organization that I had been on the board of. And so I strike up this conversation with Arthur Brewer. I find out that he's the editor of this publication called Access Line. I was well aware of what Access Line was. I did not know Arthur was connected to it. And um, I ended up asking Arthur if it would be all right if I – would he consider a column by me, a transgender person, for Access Line? This was very early in 2010 um, before many uh, – most transgender people were vi- visible. Arthur said he said, um, OK. Um, he said, give me a draft of something uh, and it's got to be a thousand words. So I sat down and in longhand because back in 2010, I know you'll find this extremely um, odd – and surprising, but 20, early 2010, I didn't even know how to cut, cut and paste. Sorry, I didn't grow up with computers. Well, I did, but they were the size of small trailers at my, at my high school. And there was the computer lab that, you know, you had to get special access with. And, you know, they had punch cards. So I didn't grow up learning how to operate Windows. So I sat down in longhand and I wrote out a column. And, of course, then I typed it up. I sent it to Arthur. And his response back was, not good enough. Try again. I'm like, okay. So then I revised that column, the original, um, spent some more time on it. I sent it back to Arthur and Arthur's response was not good enough. Try again. So then I'm like, oh boy, I maybe I'm not a writer. Maybe this is way too much work. Maybe I just don't have what it cuts, but um, so I started working on the third um, revision and I recall sitting on my bed. Um, at the time I was living in um, in Iowa. I recall sitting on my bed on a Monday night at 8.30 in the, at night. I was beat. I was tired. This was after a day of me practicing law and I was darn frustrated. But I really pressed myself 
as I sat on that bed. I told myself, try harder, Ellie. And then I did what I've come to do many times since, and that is I started thinking differently. I started trying to use my imagination about what would grab a reader, but at the same time that would be snappy and that would be important to read, that maybe would touch people. And somehow popped into my head was this phrase, quote, my name is Ellen Krug. It has taken me more than 50 years to be able to write that, unquote. That was the start of the piece revised, number three. And then I did other things to rewrite the, rewrite the, pre, the piece, and I sent it to Arthur. The word back from Arthur was this, good. And so I was published in early 2010 for the very first time in Access Line. I went on to be an Access Line contributor for, I think, close to two years. And what doing that gave me the credibility to then approach Lavender Magazine in 2011, once I had moved to the Twin Cities, to ask Lavender if it would be okay. I mean, would they like me to write for them? Um, it took some time to convince Lavender I was worthy. Um, but once uh, I convinced them, they were like, yep. We want you. And since then, I've been writing a near-monthly column um, skirting the issues in Lavender Magazine. It's won a couple – well, it's won several awards. Um, and at this point, I've written, written in Lavender close to 100,000 words. And from there, Minnesota Women's Press decided that they would like me to write for them. Not every month, but a couple at least two or three times a year. And then, of course, I wrote my first book, Getting to Ellen, and now I'm working on my second all because of serendipity, of sitting next to an editor of a LGBTQ public publication at some women's event in, in uh, early 2010, late 2009. So there you go. And it changed. That serendipity changed my trajectory. Quite wonderful, if you ask me. Okay, well, that puts up, that's another show. In the can, as we say, I need to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Let Bev know that I sent you because she does incredible work. And our other sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Uh, we could use more sponsors, so please um, reach out to me. If you have a business, you like what I'm doing, it's really important <laughs> that we have sponsors. So I'd love to hear from you. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are the best. You are. And to my listeners, uh, please, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on social media. The handle at, at Twitter is at Ellie J. Krug. The handle on on uh, where else am I? On Twitter, on <laughs> oh, yes, on Instagram is at Ellie J. Krug. All right, we'll be back in a month. No, not in a month. In a week. Bye bye. <laughs>